you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, good morning again. Um, my name's Mike. If I haven't met you, uh, good to good to be with um, good, yeah, good to be with us this morning. Um, hey, um, before we start, just um, a couple of things. Just want to say, um, not sure what your week has been like, um, but we're so glad uh, that you have joined us here this morning. Um, yeah, God calls us um, for those who've had good weeks to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I love that church uh, is a place of celebration uh, and joy. And we've been celebrating lots of things recently, good things happening, babies born and uh, people getting baptized, a lot of good things we've been celebrating. But also, you know, for people that have had hard weeks, church should be a place where we weep with those who weep. Um, you know, church shouldn't be a place where we have to, uh, you know, put force on a smile uh, and kind of, you know, fake enthusiasm. Um, that's not what joy is. Uh, joy is having a perspective of what Jesus has done, having an eternal perspective, even through the highs and lows of life. Um, I've had a hard week. Um, my grandpa died this week, um, and it wasn't unexpected. He was 93 and he had cancer. Um, so it was inevitable. Um, but death sucks. Um, and Here's some good news for me, but for everyone, whether you've had a hard week or a good week, uh, that Jesus, he's on the throne. Jesus is ruling, he's reigning, and he is in control. Um, And so I'm looking forward to um, preaching this sermon to myself uh, as well as you guys uh, in a moment. But a couple more things quickly. We'd love your prayers. Uh, The staff team are going to go away for a couple of nights um, tonight and tomorrow night just up the coast to to get away, to to pray, uh, to plan for next year, uh, and just to, just to connect with each other. So I'd love you to, love you to pray uh, for our time away. Uh, secondly, I'd love to invite all of you uh, to an all-in church meeting. We're going to have uh, kind of end of year just before Christmas, and it's busy time. Uh, appreciate that, but, but thought it would be important to meet and just before Christmas. Um, a few things uh, we'll talk about then, God willing. Uh, so Gospel Communities, we finished then, so it's a Wednesday night. It'll be here um, God willing, uh, we'll be able to uh, announce um, church council and even get to know them. Uh, God willing, uh, we'll, we'll share some updates, uh, meaningful updates about where our lead pastor stuff is up to, uh, and just a time to pray together and just celebrate what God has done in 2022 and look forward. So I'd love to invite you all there, um, 7 p.m. here on Wednesday night, the 14th of December. Hey, let's pray together. Uh, and I'm going to pray a prayer that, that's shaped by uh, the passage uh, in Colossians 1, just the verses preceding uh, verse 15 that we're going to spend a bit of time in this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, may we be filled with a knowledge of your word and may we be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you give us wisdom and understanding to help us live in a way that honors you and pleases you, bearing fruit and increasing in knowing you more? Would you strengthen us with your glorious power so that we may have endurance and patience we need? We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Question for you. Who is the most impressive person you've met? Who's the most impressive person you've met? Now looking around the room, uh, there's some impressive people here. Uh, There's people that have got PhDs. Uh, There's people that have started their own businesses uh, and there's people that are, that are single parents, single mums. I reckon that's really impressive if that is you. 
You know, more than a decade ago, I, I was invited. I scored an invite as a plus one uh, from my mum. That's another story. But a plus one to a, uh, a, a party that Qantas held. It was a platinum party, a platinum members party, which I definitely was not one of. But it was a room literally filled with high flyers. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was this guy I met, and he was from a, you know, a large organization that, that you'd know. You'd kind of drive past, you'd see their places. And I said, oh, what's your role there? He said, kind of sheepishly, uh, CEO. <laughs> he wasn't the only CEO there, of course. Uh, you know, there were a whole bunch of celebrities there. Um, and the headline act was, at the time, that the face of Qantas, John Travolta. Uh, from movies such as Grease, Pulp Fiction, Face Off, I could go on and on and on. And, um, and oh, they, they, they put it up too early. Oh, I went to wait for that. Anyway, so there was hype, right? He came in. He came in and he sort of came in for 10 minutes and kind of spoke and people met him. I got to shake his hand, uh, took a photo. And uh, yeah, that's, well, okay, we can put it back up now. Um, <laughs> this is over a decade ago. It was November. That's my terrible event. There's me in the, the gray. Uh, there's John. Um, uh, and I remember there was this kind of glow about him. He had this aura, I'm not sure if it was kind of just his aura, his charisma, uh, people wanted to be near him, or if it was just, you know, some plastic surgery he had done, not sure what it was. But either way, he was an impressive man. And you can tell um, someone's impressive uh, by the caliber of people that kind of want to be near him. You know, it's a room full of executives, CEO, I felt way out of my depth, and that they're all kind of rushing just to be in the presence of this man. And now this morning... And over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at someone who truly is impressive. I'm not talking about John Travolta. Uh, I'm not talking about you know, Elon Musk, um, Beyonce, the Queen, Hugh Jackman, whoever you think is impressive. No, no, of course, I'm talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the headline act of any show, of eternity past, of eternity future, of the present. Jesus, he is truly impressive. Keep your Bibles open uh, to Colossians uh, chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to, to give you one. Um, and you know, chat to your team on, the team on the way out, and uh, we would love to, to put one in your hands and help you read it. But um, I'm just going to read. I'm going to read this text that um, I thought was in the video. Uh, but it wasn't. That's all right. Um, I'm going to read this text and because uh, it's, it's not too long. And, and this text is, is what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Uh, now, it's, it's known as a hymn or perhaps a poem that, that some scholars think that Paul wrote, or maybe he was referencing kind of earlier material, a hymn that had been circulating around in the early church. He's writing around 50s or maybe early 60s AD. And um, I'm going to, as I read uh, Colossians 1, I'm going to read 15 to 20. I'm going to change just one word, just to give it a little bit of emphasis. I'm not going to change the meaning, but I'm just going to change one word to give it a bit of emphasis and clarity. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
and through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. I could stop there. How good is Jesus? How impressive is he? Uh, we're going we're gonna, to um, try to plumb the, the depths of, the, of this passage over the next uh, month or so in the lead up to Christmas because, question for you, Christmas, who's Christmas all about? Christmas is all about Jesus. Jesus. That's right. That's right. At City on a Hill, as Zach said, and as you see each week, we want to know Jesus. And there's so much to know about him. Sometimes it is worth slowing down. That's why we're just going to look at a verse this week. There's so much treasure uh, in this verse and in these verses uh, in 15 to 20. Uh, may these verses help us savor Christ more. John Piper describes this passage as the Mount Everest of Christ-exalting scriptures. Now, before we look at uh, this particular verse uh, in 15 in, in detail, let's look at the, the context uh, because if you take a text out of a context, you're left with just a con. I don't want to con you. Um, so let's open up to Colossians 1. Keep it open there. Look at verse 1. Uh, verse 1. What's Colossians about? Well, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The Apostle Paul, we'll read, you can read about this in chapter 4. I won't read it just now, but he, uh, he's writing uh, in prison uh, and uh, to a city, kind of in modern-day Turkey, and, and a city that really isn't particularly impressive. It was sort of on the decline by the time Paul was writing. Uh, in fact, there's not really much going on there today. Um, but it was significant to Paul because of the church. Uh, we can read about uh, the church in Colossae from verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. You know, th- th- their faith had been gaining a reputation, the Christians in the city of Colossae, like they'd been started to be made famous for, by the Christians. There, there had been a great encouragement to the church across the known world, as we kind of read in verse 6. Now, Paul himself didn't plant the church. Uh, likely, it was started, a church plant out of Ephesus, uh, likely from a guy called Epaphras. We can read about him in verse 7. But check out in verse 9, check out Paul's passion and his prayer uh, for, for these brothers and sisters. Verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we'd not cease to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul, he's wanting to encourage these these young Christians. They hadn't been Christians for very long. Um, and uh, he wanted them to, to not just you know, stay Christian, but be matured in the faith. And one of the reasons he's writing is he's encouraging them to cling to Jesus in the midst of false teaching. What are these false teachings that, that these guys are combating? Uh, well, Paul says lots about it in chapter 2, but essentially it's, it's about anything uh, that's competing with Christ. 
anything that's counter to the gospel of Jesus. In chapter 2, flick over chapter 2, verse 8, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There was a, a temptation for the early church and let's face it, indeed, for us today to live by kind of adopting the philosophy and the culture and the ethos and the lifestyle of the world around us, you know, to maybe subtle things, to sort of drift into the way the world thinks rather than live under the lordship of Jesus. So what's Paul's hope for this church? It's really the hope of the Christian. Check out chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, Paul says this, uh, him, that's Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul, he doesn't just want converts. Uh, He wants people to be matured in Christ. Sometimes we think uh, we can be tempted to sort of uh, having a minimalistic view of the gospel, you know, what, what's the minimum effective dose for this thing to work? You know, to maybe get someone across the line. How much, how much of my life can, can I keep? Um, you know, what, what, what do I not have to let go of? You know, I've still got my, my bucket list, still got my, my aspirations, my life goals, my career ambitions and pursuit. You know, like I just want to sort of keep them, but sort of, you know, keep Jesus like around the side. You know, how much of it can I keep? How much of it do I have to let go of? Well, friends, church, that's the wrong question to be asking. You know, it's like, um, imagine we're in a house, right? Like we live in a house and um, it's like we give Jesus the key uh, to the front room of our house or maybe the deck, the, the kind of presentable bit that sort of people walk into and you're like, yeah, sure, Jesus, you can come here. Uh, this is the bit that I'm gonna, willing to be put on display uh, to the world, willing to um, allow you to, to kind of shape and, and, and look at. But no, no, you can't come in here. I'm not going to lock these doors. You know? There's no way you can come into the bathroom. It's dirty there. Or the kitchen. You don't want to know what goes on there. Or the bedroom or where I keep my computer or my, my money. Like those things. No, no, no. Like just stay in the front. And we have this attitude, um, and I think it's because our vision of Christ is too small. And so this morning, I just wanted to see and savor what Jesus has done and even who he is. Um, and, and just check out, before we get to 15, just the last couple of verses from verse 12. Um, let's see, what has he done? Um, well, uh, his prayer is that we give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He, it's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus, his beloved Son, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Paul's saying that God has given the kingdom. Jesus is Lord over a kingdom. Uh, This kingdom that uh, is up against another kingdom, a kingdom of darkness. And if you're a Christian, it means that God has qualified you. He's allowed you. He's, by His grace, He's transferred you into the kingdom of Jesus. All right, that's the context. Now we're going to spend a bit of time in verse 15. Two points this morning. Uh, simple points uh, to say, but incredibly complex and rich uh, to understand and feel the weight of. Firstly, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Sounds simple. Uh, my daughter could say that. Uh, but if we get our heads around the implications of that, it's incredibly profound. Check out verse 15. 
He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Let's start with God. Who is God? I remember when I was at Bible college, I had an exam question, a take-home exam. I think it was a thousand words. Who is God? That was the question. Um, now, I'm not going to give you a thousand words now, um, but uh, helpful, uh, helpful kind of place to start. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a great uh, resource for a summary of the Christian faith. Uh, it's kind of a Q&A format, which is helpful. Who is God is the question. Uh, the answer is God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Because God is spirit, uh, we can't see him. Uh, That's why in John chapter 1, we read that no one has ever seen God. Uh, But God is also uh, Trinity, three in one. Uh, What does that mean? Trinity or triune? Uh, Yeah, it means three in one. Uh, Three persons, one God. Uh, as the, the catechism, another catechism, which is the, the New City Catechism, which is an a- adaptation of the Westminster. It's a great website, great app, um, the great kids' songs. We've started getting into it uh, as a family. Um, but this is what it says um, Who are the persons of God? There, there are three persons in the one true and living God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So God is three persons, one God. The three are all equal. Uh, If you're a visual learner, maybe you want a diagram. This is probably the only diagram that works that's not heretical. Um, You know, I remember once I was actually chatting with a couple of Mormons and I was using this diagram with some some biscuits and carrot sticks. Uh, So there you go. Uh, I couldn't find any pen and paper, so that's what I use. But what's going on here? Uh, Well, we see, middle, God. There's one God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are all God, but they aren't all each other. Uh, The Father is not the Son. The Father did not die on the cross. Uh, The Spirit is is not Jesus. Jesus sent out the Spirit. Uh, They're different persons, uh, but they are of one essence, one God. There's unity and there's distinction. Lots to wrap your head around. I'm not going to unpack all the, the riches and depths of that. Um, you can chat about that a little bit at Gospel Community this week. Uh, but this idea of Trinity, you know, some of you might say, well, the Trinity, that's not in the Bible. Where's that verse? True, the word Trinity, it's a Latin word. It didn't come from the Bible. But you see it all throughout the Bible. Uh, you see it in Genesis 1, but you see it uh, in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus says uh, to this to his disciples, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them into, not the names, but the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one name, one Godhead, if you like, the essence of God, the substance. Now, come back to our text, um, back in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible because he's spirit, but Jesus is the image of God. Now, if you're, if you're clever, if you've got a reasonable memory, uh, you might remember the passage that Beck read uh, that said that humans are in the image of God. What's that on about? Is that saying that, Mike, by your logic, okay, we're like the same as Jesus? We're in the image of God? Jesus, we're the same? Is that what's going on? Or Jesus kind of like, is he just like a man, like just down here with us? We up there? What's going on? Well, uh, important just to look at the subtlety, the difference between these two verses that should pop up on 
the screen. In Genesis uh, chapter 127, um, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Whereas in Colossians 1, Jesus is the image. See, Jesus is the image. We are created in his image. See the difference? Jesus, he, he is the image of God. He, he is the, uh, as Hebrews says, um, he's the exact representation. Uh, this is what it says in Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, that's the sort of image that Jesus is. That's not true about us, right? Uh, we are made to be like God in some sense, that we are, we are ruling over creation, uh, we're given responsibility, we're relational, uh, we have a sense of God's moral code inside of us, but we're fallen, we're corrupted, and, and we, we cannot carry out the purposes of God in the way that Jesus did, because Jesus, he is the exact imprint. He is the image of God. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 5 about Jesus. He says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus, he's the same form as God. He's also equal to God. And Jesus, of course, he recognizes his own identity. Sometimes I hear, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, he did it all throughout the Bible. In Mark 2, um, no one can forgive sins, but, but God alone. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Like that, There's a claim there. But here's one more, even more directly, right? Because um, it's important. I think sometimes, you know, objections to, to kind of the, the person of Jesus, we, we, we kind of you know, say that we want to reduce Jesus to maybe just a preacher, a teacher, a healer, a prophet. Uh, because that, that picture of Jesus, it's easier to get our head around, less confronting, uh, less intimidating. We don't have to do business with that kind of Jesus. We can just sort of take, it, take him or leave him, you know, choose what works for us. But if Jesus is God, that's a whole different story. Uh, and so Jesus, uh, in John chapter 14, um, remember in the upper room uh, and uh, just before Jesus is going to be killed, uh, he, uh, he has a, a, a message to his disciples. And Philip, um, he, he says, um, you know, Jesus, can you just show us the Father? Like, we'd believe you just kind of show us God the Father. Um, you know, we know that he's God. Like, can you just show us him? And Jesus responds this in John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. I and the Father are one, Jesus will say again in that chapter. No one can come to the Father except through me. We're equal. Jesus is claiming to be God. He's not God the Father, but he is God. He is, has a divine nature. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, it's everything. It changes everything. It means we stop and marvel and wonder before him. You know, because without the divinity, divine nature of Jesus, if Jesus wasn't fully God, it means that his death on the cross is just an example. It's just like a martyrdom. You know, maybe it's a, a, a partial contribution to our salvation. As if sort of Jesus does his bit and we do our bit as well. Uh, becoming a Christian, it's a bit like long jumping to New Zealand. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. Uh, what I mean by that, you know, well, the, the world record, I Google the world record for long jump, uh, just a tick under nine meters, 
9.5 metres by a guy called Mike Powell in the early 90s. Uh, now, Mike Jontek's long jump record is about five metres, and today I'd probably struggle to hit three. Uh, but hey, it doesn't matter if you're Mike Powell or Mike Jontek. There's no way you're jumping uh, from here to, or from, you know, wherever, from the pier, from, from Wyndham Wading Pool, wherever, from Shorncliffe Pier to, to, to all the way to Auckland, to New Zealand, to the Bay of Islands, whatever, whatever is on the east coast, of, west coast of New Zealand. There's no way you can do it, right? No way you can get there. You know, only a supernatural miracle would get you to New Zealand through jumping. It doesn't matter how good you are at long jump, you know, compared to New Zealand, if it's five metres, if it's nine metres, it's nothing. Uh, in the same way, we all fall short of the Bible's standards, of God's standards, of getting to heaven, of being right with God. There's no way on our own merits that we can get anywhere near God's perfections. So it's like Jesus, he picks us up and carries us to New Zealand. Not that New Zealand's the promised land or anything like that, but it's just an analogy. But it's not like, hey, we run really hard to get there, right? And if, as long as we can, you know, there's movie scenes where the kind of plane's leaving and you've got to go dive in. through. It's not like that, right? It's not about our efforts of just trying to keep up with the plane or kind of hold on really tight. No, no, it's what Jesus has done. That's how we get there. But if Jesus isn't God, then he can't get there. We have to do it ourselves. Uh, but no, we're totally dependent upon his mercy. Because he's God. If he wasn't God, he wouldn't have been perfect, right? Uh, the sacrifice on the cross, it wouldn't have been effectual. He wouldn't have been able to, to pay for our sin. He wouldn't have been able to, um, to withstand the wrath of God the Father. He wouldn't be able to be resurrected uh, on the third day. He wouldn't be the only way to God. And he wouldn't be God made visible. But he has been made visible. Uh, that's Paul's point in, in Colossians 1.15. Uh, we can now see him. You can have a relationship with him. Uh, and if we trust in Jesus in heaven, we will see him. We will see God in flesh, in Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, this is our hope. Uh, he's more than a man we can look up to, more than an inspiration. He, Jesus, is God. So firstly, Jesus is God. And secondly, and finally this morning, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you want a, uh, a three-word summary of what the Christian faith is on about, that's a pretty good one. Jesus is Lord. Remember when I was at university, uh, I, I encountered some people with, with these shirts that said, Jesus is Lord, and I thought they were weirdos, and I wasn't having nothing to do with them. By second year, I kind of put the shirt on myself. <laughs> I became a Christian and kind of helped, you know, joined AFS stuff that like, what Beck is, is doing full-time next year. Um, Jesus is Lord. How do we see that in the text this morning? And what does that mean for us? So we'll uh, go back to Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn, that's a confusing word. Uh, we look at it and it sort of appears like, you know, Jesus has been made uh, created as if God was kind of hanging out and just created Jesus like that. Um, well, we know that actually that's not the case. 
Um, how do we know? Well, one, one tip, Bible hack, if you're confused about something, just keep reading. Uh, the very next verse, won't kind of steal too much of, um, of Pat, who's um, going to preach uh, from City on Hill, Melbourne East next week. won't steal too much of his thunder. But from verse 16, it says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or, or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus was around at the beginning. And even more than that, and we'll see more next week, that Jesus actually was involved. And through Jesus, all things were made. Jesus was, was there. He, wasn't, he didn't pop into existence through God's creation. Uh, the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest uh, statements of the Christian faith. Uh, it goes back to the 4th century. Um, it says this, say that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him, through Jesus, all things were made. Jesus wasn't made by God because through Him all things were made. Rather, He was begotten. That's a word we don't use too often. But what does it mean? Essentially, he was the eternally existent son of God. It's hard to wrap your head around that. He's the son of God. That's who he is. That's his identity. And he was eternally in that relationship with God as his father. In Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, we often kind of pull these verses out before Christmas. But the prophet Isaiah says 700 years before Jesus, uh, he says this, that for to us a child is born and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. I think these words, even just the, 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 the subtle distinction, uh, he says, Isaiah says, that the child is born, the son is given. It's not the other way around. Uh, it's not the son is born, and the son was already existent from eternity past. It's the child, the baby, uh, Jesus in flesh. That was the thing, that was the, that was the thing that, the, that the people of God were waiting for. Jesus was always the son. He always had this divine nature as the son of God. Uh, but he had this, this human nature clothed in him, uh, added to him, if you like, um, when he became flesh. So God gives his son to the world. And Isaiah is even comfortable calling him God. And when Paul's using this language of firstborn, it, it comes to mean uh, the highest rank. Uh, we see this in, in a Psalm, Psalm 89. Uh, God talks about King David, kind of using the same way. He says, um, He, David, shall cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him, David, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love, I will keep, him, I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. Now, David, that's King David, uh, he wrote a whole bunch of the Psalms, you know, the, kind of the greatest king of Israel. Uh, he, he wasn't the firstborn, right? He wasn't the first of God's family. Uh, he wasn't even the first king. But God gives him this title uh, that kind of gets to the heart of what this firstborn title uh, connotes, is that he's the highest king of kings. Right? In the same way, in fact, in a much greater way, Jesus is the high king of creation. Uh, not part of creation, uh, as we've seen, but actually Lord of creation. Jesus is Lord. Another important thing here is that Jesus is a better Adam. 
Now, Adam, uh, he, was, uh, he was meant to be the, the vice regent, the kind of the 2IC, if you like, under God's rule as king. Uh, he was the son of God that was meant to kind of uh, fulfill uh, the, the mandate, the cultural mandate to have dominion over creation, to fill the earth, subdue it, uh, to, to hang out in perfect relationship uh, with humanity and with God. Um, yeah, that's, he stuffed up. And throughout history, as we read the Old, the Old, Old Testament, where we're looking for, for someone uh, that will fulfill that role. We're looking for someone, we're looking for a man in particular that will be able to be that vice regent, uh, that kind of two I see under God. Well, who, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Noah? I mean, he was the righteous man that was saved. And what did he do after he got off the boat? First thing he did is got drunk. So that was a bit of a fail. Ended up naked. Um, so that, that didn't work out well for him. What about Abraham? Well, he lies twice about his wife being his sister, and looks like she probably gets taken advantage of. Quite awful. Um, he's, he's definitely not the guy. What about Moses? He kills a man, kind of buries the body, runs away. Like he's not the guy. David, he commits adultery, kind of covers it up, denies it, gets the, the husband killed. We could go on and on and on again. These kind of great heroes of the faith, they're not going to be the one who is going to lead God's people. They're not the firstborn who is worthy. However, all along, God did have one who was worthy, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus wasn't God's plan B. I used to think this, that Jesus was God's plan B. You know, he, he hoped that kind of, you know, humans would get at work. It's like, oh, drat. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, put, I'll put Jesus instead. He'll, 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 he'll do a good job. You know, no, no. God's plan all along was centered around Jesus. All along, Jesus was being prepared to save humanity. Uh, Paul says, as Zach read for us this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, that for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Church, that's our King. That's, that's our Lord. Jesus, uh, his name means Savior. Christ, uh, it's not a last name, it's a title. It means effectively King. As I, as I invite the band up, as we wrap up, you know, some of us here, we, we want Jesus, but we don't want him to be the Christ. We want Jesus as our saviour, but as our friend, as our helper, as our mate, you know, when we kind of need a bit of help uh, to kind of help us feel better. But you know, it's good and right, actually. It's good and right for we want Jesus as our saviour. Like, it's good and right to kind of realise that we, we can't do it ourselves. Um, but then we also don't want him to be our Lord. We don't want him to, to run the whole house, you know, just the kind of front couple of rooms, our front deck, maybe our living room. But as we've seen this morning, Jesus, he is God and he is Lord. We need to give him the keys to our whole house. You know, our wallets, our screen time, our relationships, our sexual activity, our hospitality, even our sleep. Why do we do these things? Not because we need to live a certain way uh, in order uh, to, to stay in God's good books. No, no, that's been done. Through Jesus' death, his blood shed for us on the cross. He signed and sealed the deal for us. But our house, our bodies, our lives, uh, they're his. He owns us. He made us. He's sustaining us. He bought us. He returned to judge. I began by asking, who's the most impressive person that you've met. Now let me wrap up 
uh, by just quoting an uh, extract from, from a sermon from uh, a great African-American preacher from the 20th century, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Listen to what he says about Jesus. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. Sit on a hill. That's our Lord. That's our King. That's Jesus. Let's stand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled when we stop and consider who your son Jesus is. Lord, we are sorry for the times where we have minimized who he is, pushed him aside, kept him out of some of the rooms in our house. Lord, I do pray that we as a people can stop and savor the supremacy of your son. I pray that we would see Jesus, you are God, Jesus, you are Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.